Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about soil organic matter. It's important with any crop, any lawn, any garden, any type of soil you've got. You want to know what the organic matter level is. And we'll talk about the importance of this, how you can build organic matter. And we're even going to talk a little about carbon credits today. If you've got any questions for us about soil organic matter, or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. All right, so with soil organic matter, I want to start you with this, because this is one of the biggest lies you've been told if you are a corn and soybean farmer. If you have soybeans this year, and you're going into corn next year, your fertilizer dealer is going to say, well, we're going to give you a credit for nitrogen. It's the soybean credit for nitrogen. And so we'll take off, okay, let's say your corn crop needs whatever, 250 bushel bushel corn, you need 250 pounds, whatever is usually something like that. They'll say, well, we'll take 40 pounds off or 50 pounds off because it's a soybean credit. All right, there's no such thing as a soybean credit. No such thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there isn't going to be nitrogen left after soybeans. I'm simply saying there's no simple formula to tell you how much nitrogen there is. So we've had it before where there's 10 pounds after soybeans, after a really good crop. Okay drainage, no problems in the field, 10 pounds left, that's it. We've also had, we had one field a couple years ago, 140 pounds And that was a 330-acre field. Averaged 140 pounds of extra nitrogen after the soybeans. Thank goodness we tested because at the time, nitrogen was worth a dollar a unit. So we cut our nitrogen from what a normal person would have done by 100 pounds. Corn crop the next year turned out great, by the way. But anyway, that 100-pound savings on 330 acres saved us 33000 thousand dollars thank goodness we tested and we didn't listen to the nonsense and the lies you've been told about oh soybean credit for nitrogen we don't know what it is unless we test it but here's something we do know that you probably also have never been told by your fertilizer dealer the more soil organic matter you have the more free nitrogen your soil is going to release this coming year that's a fact now how much exactly that's it's hard to say i'll tell you on our farm And in our area, we usually figure 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for every 1% of organic matter. So, for example, we have some 5% organic matter soils. We figure we're going to get 100 to 150 pounds for free coming available during the course of the next growing season. That's a big deal. If we applied that extra 100 or 150 pounds, um, we'd be out a whole bunch of money. And it wouldn't have done us any good. Other nutrients you're going to get out of your soil's organic matter every single year are phosphate and sulfur. So we usually figure four to seven pounds of phosphate and two to three pounds of sulfur for every 1% of soil organic matter. So again, if I had 5% organic matter soil, and even if I want to figure on the low side, I'm going to figure we're going to get 100 pounds of free nitrogen 
20 pounds of free phosphate and 10 pounds of free sulfur every single year. It's amazing. So this is one of the reasons why it's nice to build up soil organic matter because you're going to reap the benefits in future years. So if you are serious about trying to leave your ground in better condition for the next generation, then one of your objectives should be to get your organic matter levels up. Now, there is a limit to it. I'd probably say 7%. That's probably the most I'd ever want to see, maybe 8 If you're beyond that, then it may cause you more problems sometimes than it will do good. But, but anyway, definitely, if you're down at 1%, 2%, 3%, it's time to build it. So, you're probably asking next, well, how am I going to build this soil organic matter? There are five ways that we most commonly talk about. Number one, and most importantly, reduce your tillage. I'm not saying you have to go no-till, but if you reduce your tillage, that's absolutely going to help you build soil organic matter. Now, I've had so many questions over the years where guys go, wait a second, if I've got all this residue on top of the soil, why would I not want to bury that? Isn't that going to become soil organic matter? No, it's not. What's going to end up happening is you're going to inject so much more air into the soil. It's like adding fuel to the fire, and you're actually going to burn up your soil's organic matter faster than it gets built. So tillage is the reason why soil organic matter levels in the United States were decreasing for about 100 straight years prior to about 15 or 20 years ago. So you don't want to do tillage, or at least you don't want to do massive tillage. I'm not saying you can't do some, but I'm just saying reduce your tillage. Okay, number two, plant crops with lots of roots. So a lot of people look at above ground residue after harvest and they go, okay, well, that's going to become soil organic matter. Yeah, probably not. That's probably not. And you go, what? what? That's what I've always been told. Well, if you were, you were told wrong. Where most organic matter comes from is when roots decay. They're down in the ground already. When they decay, that's what builds soil organic matter. The residue you see on top is mainly just to protect your soil. It's going to decompose. And when it does, a lot of that's just going to become nutrients that were in it. They're going to release for the next crop. But, I mean, you might get a little bit of organic matter out of that, but probably not much. So plant crops with lots of roots. For example, corn on average, has about five times the root mass of soybeans. I'm not saying you can't build soil organic matter with soybeans, but all I'm saying is you're going to do it a lot faster with corn. The next three things, use manure or compost as much as you can. Don't overdo it, especially don't overdo it on salts. Use cover crops when it fits. doesn't always fit. I was talking to some guys yesterday. They're like, well, how do we plant a cover crop when we harvest uh, here where we're at in the middle of November, and then the snow's flying. I go, you don't. Your cash crop was your cover crop. Don't worry about it. But you want a crop growing as much as possible during the growing season. And then finally, you can use some biologicals. That can help you a little bit too. But yeah, number one, reduce tillage. And number two, plant crops with lots of roots. Those are the two most important things by far. So make sure you're doing that to build organic matter. We'll talk more about this subject right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking a little about soil organic matter. If you've got any questions for us about that, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to go to the phone lines right now. We've got Kelly Garrett calling in. He's from down in Iowa, and he's part of the Extreme Ag Group. Kelly, how are you today? Good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. All right, so I know you farm in kind of hilly country there. Talk to us just a little bit about soil organic matter and things you've been doing to preserve and build the soil in your area. No-till for just about as long as I can remember. uh, Full-time, even when I say full-time, even with our corn on corn acres since 2012. And I think soil organic matter is the key to how special the soil is here. You know, a Chad comes from Alabama or a Temple from Maryland, Brian, they try to put some of my soil in their pocket and take it home with them. <laughs> and, you know, the, uh, the organic matter we have here is, is pretty great. And I almost think, you know, that the movie Space, The Final Frontier, when you hear that line, I almost think it really should be realistically soil the final frontier because I think it's misunderstood or misrepresented what that organic matter actually brings to us, and I don't think we give it enough appreciation. Here's what a lot of people will say, though, when I go, well, we want to try to build soil organic matter. They go, oh, that, I, that takes a lifetime. I'm, I, can't, I can't do it. It's going to take too long. So how much can you build your soil organic matter in five or ten years? I think you can bring it up a percent or two. I, I believe that you can move the needle through no-till, through cover crops, and, and through proper management. I really believe you can move it. I don't think it takes a lifetime. Yeah, I don't either because we've, we've been able to do it on our farm as well. So you mentioned no-till and you mentioned cover crops. Uh, are those the two main things or is there anything else that you do that's added to the list? Manure. Uh, manure would be something and then uh, you know paying attention and, and trying not to harm the biology so the microbial activity is uh, is active and healthy because that's also going to 
keep that that system. It's a living, breathing world down there, and we have to do everything we can to keep it as healthy as possible. I want to talk to you about the cover crops, though, because I was just saying right before the break that I was talking to some farmers yesterday that, that they told me, well, we harvest in the middle of November and then the snow flies. How can I plant a cover crop? And I go, well, it's probably not going to work for you. But how do you do cover crops? Does it? Are you putting them on all your acres, some of your acres? Just talk to us about that a little bit. We try to put them on all our acres, but by the time we get all of the corn combined, it does become a challenge like the, what those guys yeah. are saying. We, on, those, on those fields that we know we're going to harvest later, we try to fly it on or, or, or use a drone. Uh, both of those are great ways to seed it, but it does take a rain to get that to germinate because, right. of course, your seed to soil contact, you're not putting it under there. And obviously the weather we're having this year and the weather we had last year, that's pretty tough. <laughs> you know, with the soybean yep. desiccation that we have, uh, we'll be cut, we'll be we'll be desiccating soybeans next week. We'll be cutting soybeans probably September seventh or eighth. So we have a lot of time to really get some good growth out of the cover crops. We've got some hundred day corn that we just test today. Test today at hand shelled at thirty six. That'll be coming out here before too long with this weather. So the early crops we really uh, we really do take advantage of putting those cover crops in right behind them. Like I say, the later stuff we fly it on, but the germination can be hitting this. How do you do manure when you're no till? We try to spread it in such a fashion that we can still no-till into it. So we're not ever going to turn it black. But, you know, the, the, if you look at the fertilizer analysis of the manure, the amount we're able to put on, we're still able to put on, you know, 6 to 10 ton an acre, which is quite a bit of fertility. So really, I would tell you we're putting on the appropriate amount to make it go as far as possible, and then we can still no-till into it. It's Kelly Garrett with the Extreme Ag Group. He's a farmer down in Iowa, does a fantastic job out there. Kelly, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate your insight into this. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. Yep, you too. Stay cool. (laughs) We'll try. All right, we're going to go down to the state of Texas. When he talks about cool, uh, we got Lauren Mulder on. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to assume it's not too cool where you're at right now, huh? No, I think we're running 102 or 103 out there. Um, (laughs) And I was just talking to Janelle off air. I think we've had three days under 100 in the month of August so far. Yeah, I... Everything else has been above 100. Yeah, I know. I've actually looked at, been looking at the weather off and on with Texas just because it has been so hot up here. And I thought, I wonder if it's the same down there. So I've looked at some other areas of the country and yeah, it's brutally hot. So that brings us to our topic, soil organic matter. A lot of people say you can't build soil organic matter when it's that hot. Talk to us about that just a little bit. Honestly, you've covered a lot of the, the really key points as far as cultural practices. If somebody will in, implement some or all of those, that will really help improve the organic matter content. You know, the, the number one thing is reduce your tillage one way or the other. Whether you go no-till, strip-till, I think strip-till is probably the, really where the, is the best of both worlds. Uh, being a Kinsey consultant, you know, we look at soil tests all the time, and a lot of my clients don't even have 1% organic matter. You know, or on our test, it'll say humus. Yep. And it just tells me that the biology in the soil is starving for carbon. And we've got to try and educate them and work with them one way or the other to try and figure out how can we work on their practices, and at the same time, what can we do from a fertility standpoint at Honestly, at this point, the easiest thing I've found to try and add into somebody's fertility program is 
to try and get them to incorporate a dry humate in their fertilizer blends, uh, whether it's for me or somebody else. There's a lot of good dry humates on the market, but they're very high in, in humic and some in fulvic acids, but they have a lot of carbon. But you know, at the end of the day, you know what they are? They're ancient roots, just like you were talking about earlier. How do you build organic matter? Grow roots. And when we take these dry humates and, and put them into a fertilizer blend, we're adding in old roots from another field from way back when. But it's very good available carbon for the biology to work with. And it'll make all your fertilizers work better until you get that organic matter up. Because ultimately, when you're running less than 2.5% organic matter, you're not getting the full value out of your fertilizer inputs. Doesn't matter whether you spray or spread. So why do you say that exactly? So the biology needs a certain amount of carbon to access the nutrients that you apply and convert them into a plant-available form. And typically, if there's not enough carbon, then there's not going to be a full conversion of those nutrients into plant-available form, and it stops with the biology. And so we want that biology to be working for you, not against you. And for that to happen, we need to shift that organic matter content to at least 2.5%. Anything above that is great, fantastic. And I, every time I look at a soil test and I see if somebody's got a field that's particularly high in organic matter compared to the other fields, you ask them about how do their fertilizer response compare to their other fields where they're low in organic matter, and it's always better on those fields that have higher organic matter content. And it's, you've got the biology working for you, and it's not trying to steal your nitrogen away from the plant. So what's the biggest issue with a lot of these people that have less than 1% organic matter? Are they doing tillage? Do they not have crop growing out there during all of the growing season? I mean, what is it? So with some of my customers, they are unique in that they grow sod. And so as soon as that crop is ready, they're taking the top inch and a half or two inches of the soil off the field and putting it on a pallet and sending it off of the farm. Yeah. And that is where you build most of your organic matters in the top four inches. Yep. With even more of it being in the top two inches. So they physically remove it. A lot of the other ones are on sand, uh, and sand is just really hard to build a lot of organic matter in. There's just not a lot of capacity. And the one thing we can get them to do is if they will improve their organic matter, it'll improve their CEC. It'll improve their moisture holding capacity, and it'll make that ground much more resilient, uh, especially to, like you were saying, when we started our conversation, heat and in particular drought. Organic matter helps to provide a little buffering when you're under extreme heat or you're under drought because it will hold not only just nutrients, but it will hold some moisture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Really important stuff. Hey, Lauren, I want to thank you a lot for your time. I'm sure you're a busy guy, and uh, we just appreciate having you on anytime we get the opportunity to talk to you. Again, that's Lauren Mulder. He's down in Texas with Innovative Turf Supply and Enviro Granulation, and he does a lot of work with Neil Kinsey and is a Neil Kinsey consultant. Thanks for the time, Lauren. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. You guys have a good day up there. Yep, you too. Well, I hope you can see now after our first couple segments Soil organic matter is really, really important. We're going to talk about this just a little bit more and some other things you can do uh, with good levels of soil organic matter. So we'll get to that right after this. Stay tuned. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example 
Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Good morning and hallelujah! My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, just talking about soil organic matter. Next, we've got Clayne Jones on with us. He's with Montana State University, Extension Soil Fertility Specialist out there. Clayne, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Excellent. Hey, uh, we really appreciate having you on the show from time to time. Your environment out there. Uh, some people would call it kind of challenging with your uh, your dry weather and cold temps and everything else. How do you build soil organic matter in the state of Montana? It is it is really tough. Um, we've done a lot of studies on different cropping systems and cover crops, and especially in our you know eleven to fourteen inch rainfall zone, our soil organic matter grows very slowly. So the main thing I encourage producers is to be 
patient. It took a long time to bring that soil organic matter down from its natural native levels. It's going to take a long time to build it back up. There are a lot of people in your state who do fallow, and I understand why. You just mentioned low rainfall environment, but what's the impact on fallow when we start talking about soil organic matter levels? Yeah, we have not seen that we can grow organic matter where we have fallow. Every single one of our studies that has fallow in it, we are losing soil organic matter, and this is over studies that are between 8 and 22 years long. So we just cannot build soil organic matter in a chem fallow or a tilled fallow situation. But as soon as we go continuous cropping, we almost always can build soil organic matter. So that's that's our biggest recommendation here is that you really need to be continuous. And, and I do understand why a lot of producers, especially in our Golden Triangle where there's deep clay loams that hold a lot of water, produce really good crops, after fallow. It seems to be what works for them, but it, it does not build soil organic matter. So at some point, are they going to reach a breaking point where yields are going to start going down enough if the organic matter levels get low enough? Or what's your feeling on that? You know, probably at, at some point, I think we, you know, are able to do a fair amount of correction with with nutrients, certainly high organic matter is going to hold more water, but when it's a difference between 2% and maybe 1.5% organic matter, probably not not a huge amount. Yeah. So I think there's some mitigation with additional fertilizer, but certainly we lose all those great benefits of soil organic matter, like holding water, like providing better aggregation. All right, you mentioned testing that you're doing and building soil organic matter. So is it is let's say continuous wheat is that what you found to be the best or is there a certain cropping rotation that you really like if a guy says boy one of my biggest goals is is to build organic matter here you know it's going to be a perennial system so we have one study where we had an alfalfa grass growing and that did as well or better than any of the annual systems which you know mm -hmm. i'm sure makes sense to you we're sure. putting more energy into roots and building organic matter that way. In an annual cropping system, we found almost equal benefits of wheat on wheat versus wheat on pea, but better profit with um, wheat and pea. Having a pulse crop in there saved on nitrogen and sure. prices were pretty good during that period. Yeah, yep. What else can you tell us about soil organic matter? Any other things that you talk to farmers and agronomists about? You know, I think that last question you asked is one that is really important. There's a lot, you know, in the literature and on the web about how important carbon to nitrogen ratios are. So I think people have the impression that legumes are not going to build organic matter nearly as well as, say, cereals. But we did not find that to be true. We found a very strong correlation between carbon returned regardless whether it was pulse residue, cover crop, or wheat stubble, and soil organic matter increase. Uh, my colleague Rick Engel showed a really high correlation between those two. So I, I think even though the pulse residues are going to break down a little faster, they still leave a fair amount of carbon behind. Interesting. All right. So 
when you've said the word carbon several times here, that is a mm-hmm. hot button topic across really the entire world, I think, right now. So ha- when let's put it this way. A lot of people are talking about carbon credits, but there isn't a tremendous amount of documentation about, all right, well, if I do this, I should get paid this many dollars, or if I do this, I'm going to sequester so much carbon. So what kind of work are, are, are you doing or is Montana State doing to get us a little further down that path? You know, I think it's, I think it does, some of it would come from some of these long-term studies where we can show strong correlations between the amount of residue returned and the amount of soil organic matter that is built. So I try to educate and I I work with both the, you know, occasionally with some of those carbon marketers as well as the producers hearing from the carbon markets um, about some of those studies because I think it I think it would really be valuable just to know those ratios, carbon return to the soil versus carbon uh, build. But you're right, you know, it needs to be done in more, probably more environments with more systems, animal livestock integrated into some of those systems. And so we can continue to work on that, but some of it's going to be some guesswork and probably some modeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's one of those things, like for me as a farmer, and when I'm talking to non-farmers and they ask me just just different environmental questions and that kind of thing. And then we get off off to this topic of carbon. I just say, look, my plants are breathing in carbon dioxide. So if I'm building soil organic matter, this is a good thing, but I don't have a whole lot of data that can show, well, how much carbon dioxide am I pulling out of the air and how much oxygen are my plants putting back into the air. So, I mean, do you do you have some data on that and some actual numbers on that, or are we not yet to that point? You know, not the, maybe we're not expressing them as oxygen returned or CO2, but I think we have, we have done work on actually measuring soil organic matter in soils and we know how much residue was returned in those studies. And so we are able to basically say about 40% of the residue that we return does end up in a 10-year period back as soil organic matter. So I think that can be uh, useful to those carbon creditors, those friends you're talking to, and, and producers. Again, we've been talking with Clayne Jones. He's with Montana State University. Clayne, thanks for the time today. This was great. Of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So when we start talking about soil organic matter, that whole carbon thing is a really big deal. And kind of the way I phrase it to a lot of farmers is this. Look, whether you believe in global warming or the whole carbon thing or not, the fact of the matter is you raise crops that breathe in carbon dioxide. And if you simply build your soil organic matter, you're going to be storing carbon down in the soil, or as a lot of people will say it, you are sequestering carbon. That's a good thing. And people are willing to pay you for that. So again, whether you believe in any of the stuff they're talking about, the global warming and all all this, it doesn't matter if people are willing to pay you money to... Build your soil organic matter, which, as we've been talking about so far today, um, so more soil organic matter in most all cases is good. Um, 
why would we not just take the money and try to build soil organic matter? So yes, there are some situations, just like Klein said, you know, that with the, the fallow thing, boy, if, if you're going to fallow, there are some people who they get enough yield to pay for that fallow and that, that's the direction they want to go. They want to raise a crop one year, fallow the next year. If that's more profitable for them, great. But that's not the best way to build soil organic matter. So it all depends on what your goals are. But what I'm saying here is if you are in some kind of continuous cropping system and you can build your soil organic matter, there are people out there who will want to pay you some money. I do I, I've been telling a lot of people, you know, I wouldn't sign up for a 10-year or 20-year deal or anything for $5 an acre uh, because I do think carbon credit's going to be worth a lot more money in the future. We're going to talk a little more about soil organic matter right after this and get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. 
put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we've been talking about soil organic matter. If you've got a question for us about that, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. So with soil organic matter, I'm just going to give you a quick list here on some of the reasons why it is important, and then we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag shortly after that. But organic matter, improves soil structure and tilth. It reduces compaction and increases oxygen levels in soil. It helps hold soil in place and reduces erosion potential. It helps filter contaminants as water moves through the soil. It improves microbial activity in soil life. It allows soils to warm more quickly in the spring. Organic matter can also hold about three times as many nutrients as clay. And organic matter can hold anions like nitrate, phosphate, sulfate, boron, zinc uh, better than clay. So with this soil organic matter thing, like I said earlier, there's, there is a limit to it. If it's me, I'm probably cutting her off about 7%, maybe 8 But until you get to that point, my goal, and hopefully your goal as well, is to build soil organic matter. It is a good thing for your soil. It does make your soil more valuable. It allows you to raise a better crop. And even like when we were talking with Lauren Mulder down in Texas, and he said a lot of people have less than 1% organic matter, we do deal with a lot of people that have really light soils. And just even the difference between 1% organic matter and 2% organic matter a lot of times is huge in terms of their crops, in terms of drought tolerance. It, it, it's a big deal. So if you can build soil organic matter, that's that should long-term be really good for your farm. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Okay, first question comes in from Dennis. He says, what was the chrysanthemum-based spider spray you had mentioned on your show? Uh, Dennis, we were talking about the pyrethroid chemical family. The, the py- all the pyrethroids, and there are a lot of them out there. Um, so, like on our farm, we'll use Silencer, Warrior, Asana, Mustang Max, bifenthrin, capture, I mean, lots of different pyrethroids. But anyway, what is what allows them to kill the target pests is basically the poison they found in the chrysanthemum flower. And when I say poison, I just mean a poison is really anything that kills something. So it's not going to kill you or me, but there are certain insects that they can't handle this pyrethroid and then they die. So how I usually phrase it to people is it's kind of like sprinkling flowers all over your stuff. Um, And granted, some people are allergic to flowers. Some people are allergic to the pyrethroids. But in terms of overall safety, it's just these, these pyrethroids are way safer than the insecticides we used to have 30, 40, 50 years ago, which is why a lot of those products are now gone. So uh, just as a complete side note, I realize this has nothing to do with your question, but what I find interesting is that some of the products that have been banned here in the United States, that we might have banned 10, 20, 40 years ago, unfortunately, they're still used in a number of foreign countries. And where do we get some of our fresh fruits and vegetables in the wintertime? From some foreign countries, some of the same ones that may have 
that may still be using products that we banned years ago. So this is why I really prefer to get food that's grown here in the United States or in Canada as opposed to somewhere around the world where we quite frankly don't know exactly what they used, when they used it, and how safe it is. I feel super confident in the safety of the food supply we've got in the United States and Canada. All right, here's the next question. This one's from Ryan. He says, uh, hey guys, we grow corn and soybeans and we're working on our potassium levels on some of our soils. We've seen good results from raising potash on other fields, but we have more to work on. We have around 1.5 to 3% base saturation levels of potassium. So we want to broadcast apply 800 pounds of potash this fall and try an area with 1,000 pounds of potash. There's also a field we spread 800 pounds on last year and want to put another 800 on this year. Our cation exchange capacity is 15 to 22, and we get about 36 to 42 inches of rain in a year. We plan to spread no potash in the spring. How much can we broadcast this fall before we have to be concerned over about over-applying and possibly hurting our crop from the salt? I think I remember a show where you guys said you had applied 1,400 pounds. Now, theoretically, what would be your max application rate before it could be too much? Can 800 pounds be spread two consecutive falls without building too much salt or chloride? The fields are well-drained. Okay, Ryan, I'll just put it this way. We get a question that's somewhat similar to this on, on crop safety, whether we're talking about a fertilizer, manure, a herbicide, like anything. Okay, so we're going to be very cautious and very conservative in terms of recommendations when it comes to crop safety. Now, I, I yes, we have done 1,400 pounds of potash in one shot on our farm, saw no negative impact, no problem. But the thing is, we also had like 40 cation exchange capacity, super heavy, so we could get by with more. All right, and uh, we had normal rainfall that next year too. So the more salt you put out there in lighter soils and with less rainfall, the more risk you have. So if it's me, am I going to go out there with 800 pounds one year and 800 pounds the very next year? Probably not. I'm probably not. That that to me is pushing it. 1,000, 1,400 pounds, it's probably pushing it. I'd probably look at, all right, let's try to figure this out over time, and I'm probably going in your soils 15 to 22 CEC. I'm probably not going any more than 500 pounds in a shot, maybe 600, something like that, just to be cautious, okay? Now, I'll also say broadcasting it makes it safer, and in the fall, that makes it safer. So those are both good things, okay? So I'm not super worried even about your 800 pounds that you did at least in one shot, but nevertheless i just the 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 worst possible scenario for me is i tell you oh yeah go ahead do your 800 pounds and you get the worst driest spring ever and you see it ding up your crop just a little bit because of the salt so i'm going to be more cautious than probably most people are but yeah i'd i'd probably take her easy so i i first of all want to applaud you for getting your potassium levels up or working on that that's something where on our own farm, we have been working on that for quite a while, and we've gotten pretty much all our fields up pretty good. And you can just see our yields go up too. So we compare yield to all our soil test points, and it is an absolute noticeable difference. You, you, I can show you all kinds of data from the last five years because I have lots of it. So anyway, 
potassium is super important, but let's not forget about all the other things too. So this was one of the mistakes we made years ago when we first started building our P and K levels to where they really needed to be. And we kind of neglected things like zinc and copper and sulfur. So just I don't forget about all that other stuff. It's great to work on this, but let's be building everything up so we keep our nutrients in balance, and that's how you maximize yield and profitability. All right, next one comes from Al, and we were talking recently about field sandbur. He's just he just had a comment for us here. He said, "This weed makes me question the existence of the Lord Almighty." <laughs> uh, Al. I'm assuming you have some issues with uh, with field sandbur. We have in the past as well, but the good news is we have lots of ways to get that thing under control. So I, I just say, um, yep, sometimes God gives us a lot of challenges like field sandbur, but then he gives us a lot of solutions too. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about those on here on Ag PhD Radio and on Ag PhD TV. And just one thing that I want to mention real quick too. So we do have a field guide app. So it's called the Ag PhD Field Guide app. And if you go to that, you can search in there, and we've got a lot of different weeds, including sandbur. So uh, when you look at field sandbur, then there, is, there are some ways to control that. So anyway, I just pulled up field sandbur on the field guide app, and we've got just some general information on it, photos, and how best to control it in corn, in wheat, and in soybeans. Hopefully that helps you. All right, we're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. If you've got any questions for us, just send them in radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide, <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. 
That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about soil organic matter, but right now we are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. Our next question comes from Mike. He says, um, hey, I just need to understand if secondary nutrients in a uh, blended formula that I've got here for fertilizer are calculated the same as what my potash would be. So, for example, if I've got a 50-pound bag that says it's 22% K, 10.8% a mag, and 22% sulfur, does that then mean that I've got 11 pounds of K, 5.4 pounds of magnesium, and 11 pounds of sulfur? Yes. Yes, it does. Now, when we say K, I just want to be clear on this because in a lot of cases, people represent that as K2O, and K2O is not exactly the same as K. So you have to multiply uh, 1.2 times the K to get to the K, K2O. So, but yeah, I mean, we're, you're, you're, basically your math is right, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if you want any more clarity on that, you can send me the actual label, and then we could take a look at that for you in a little more detail. All right. Next one is from Mike. Uh, he said, uh, hi, guys. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how to lower my calcium levels in these samples. It's not going to be farmland or anything. I just need to seed it with grass for a green field. So what do you think? Okay, so Mike, I looked at your soil tests here, and these are Midwest Lab soil tests, by the way, where we got some of the information. So I didn't get sulfur. I didn't get micronutrients. um, I, I didn't get sodium. I didn't get salts. But what we do have is some of the basic information. So here, here's really why the calcium level is so high. You didn't run an excess lime test, but had you run it, it would show you you have high excess lime. So, and the reason why I know this is you have 12,200 parts per million of calcium. I have never seen a soil with 12,000 parts per million of calcium that didn't have excess lime. When it has excess lime, that basically means you got a bunch of calcium that's floating around there, hasn't attached itself to soil. It could uh, hopefully get flushed out of there over time if you have good drainage, and especially if you ended up binding that up with with sulfur. 
Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. You, you, I mean, some of these cation exchange capacities here are quite high, like you would expect. In the, it, so, again, this isn't real, but in this same sample where you had 12,200 parts per million, it's going to show 63 cation exchange cation exchange capacity. So we occasionally have Neil Kinsey on the show here, and he runs a cation displacement test whenever the calcium level is like this, which it says 96% is your base saturation calcium. Um, that's extremely out of the ordinary. We know that there's free lime there, and we know this cation exchange capacity number, which is basically calculated by how much stuff is held in the soil, we know it's not real. So if you ran that cation displacement test, what it's going to show you is you probably realistically, just as a complete guess, probably have four or 5,000 parts per million of calcium. Now, it's still really high. But here's the interesting thing. And as soon as I saw this, I said, boy, that's not soil around here. 12,200 parts per million of calcium, 14, not 14,000, just 14 parts per million on magnesium. So the clay that we have in our part of the country is called Montmorillonite clay, and one of the base materials in that is magnesium. So anytime we have high clay levels here, we have high magnesium levels. Well, I think it's pretty obvious you have high clay levels, but the type of clay you have obviously isn't containing a lot of natural magnesium because you only have 14. So here's the thing. Um, when I look at a soil test like this, or, or the rest of them, it, they weren't quite as... Uh, uh, quite as shocking as this particular one. That's why I pulled this one out. Um, when we talk about, okay, can I fix that? Well, sure, you can fix anything. But the question is, is it going to be worth it? How much money are you going to spend to fix it? And do you care? So 96% calcium. In this particular test, it had 3.5% potassium. So a lot of these samples had 300 uh, and, and some parts per million of potassium, and so it gave you a halfway decent level, especially if we actually get rid of a lot of that excess lime. You, you got a halfway decent level or a real decent level on potassium, so that's good. This one, for whatever reason, had 863 parts per million of potassium, and it had two parts per million of phosphorus. Well, actually, I'll take that back. On the Olsen test, it had 33 parts per million on phosphorus, and the soil pH was 9.3. The reason why the pH was so high, now I don't, you didn't test sodium, and I'd really like to see the sodium test, but most likely the reason why the pH is so high is just because of all that calcium, and I, I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I don't trust these numbers because we need to run that cation displacement test because you got all kinds of free lime, I'm going to assume. So, um, your question was basically... What do, what do I need to do to lower the calcium level? I just say, number one is we've got to have good drainage. So whenever we have a heavy soil and we have poor drainage, then I'm putting tile out there. On top of that, I'm probably going to put some sulfur out there, but without a test, I don't know that that's what we should be doing. And then the next thing is I'm going to look at all right, what nutrients do I just need to raise a crop, which in this case is grass? So I'm going to look at how much nitrate I have, phosphorus, potassium, and then all the different micronutrients. And one of the big secondary nutrients I really want to focus on is sulfur. But there's not enough magnesium out here to raise hardly anything. You have unbelievably low levels of magnesium. 
So I would figure out a way to get some magnesium out there. Maybe it's magnesium sulfate. But my first piece of advice is I would get a complete test done. My second piece of advice is I'd probably send at least one test, just send one for comparison to Neil Kinsey, have him run that cation displacement test, and let's see what exactly we've got once all that free lime is pulled out of there. All right, thanks for the question. Appreciate that. Okay, let's see. Next one here is from Colin who says, um, Hey, guys, we have light soil. In eastern Washington, uh, I'm a young agronomist, and I'm in the lowest rainfall area of our state. Six to nine inches is all we get. Most guys here do a two-year winter wheat fallow rotation. And so far, we haven't moved, moved to grid samples yet or anything, so these are composite samples that I sent in. What I'm wondering is what we could do to start increasing our yield. Now, there are a lot of guys at no-till here, but there are a variety of different practices, and I guess the biggest thing that he, he says here is it's hard to try new things here because the profit margin is very slim. We get 30 bushels on average for a crop. Also, he said the high potassium levels in our soil, that's a little concerning to me, even though nobody ever puts any down. What do you guys think? All right. So, Colin, uh, it's a little bit like the last question that we just had. Um, I don't have a complete test here. And I, I, I realize you sent me a bunch of tests and I, I just, I don't know how to, how to handle these exactly because I don't have all the information I'm looking for. So my advice to you would be just go out, pull one sample that, that would be in the same spot as, or in the same field as any one of these tests that you sent me. But I'd pull one sample. And, and by the way, when I say one sample, that means pull about eight soil cores to 12 soil cores, eight to 12 uh, call it zero to six inches deep. Now, if you want to give me some deeper stuff too, that'd be great. Just send it to uh, like Midwest Labs or some other lab out there that can run a full Malik 3 analysis. And I want everything. I want soil pH, cation exchange capacity, base saturation, sodium, excess lime, everything, because I just don't have enough information to help you out here. So, I mean, I can see the pH and I can see parts per million on phosphorus and potassium, but I don't know what um, what method they use to even test. But I'm looking for more information, okay? So I just, I don't have enough. I've got some. Um, and so some of the things that I guess that I would say or what I believe off of this is that it looks like your phosphorus levels are pretty low. I don't know that your potassium levels are super concerning because I don't know what your magnesium and your calcium parts per million levels are. So if you have high calcium and high magnesium, then your potassium may be just fine. So it's a little hard to say when I don't have all the information I need. So if you could get me a different test, uh, then I can I can probably help you a lot better. All right, before I go, I guess I just wanted to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was producing the show for us today. Uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions. Thanks to all our guests earlier in the show talking about soil organic matter. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.